Hey, what's up and welcome to the Artist Exchange Radio Show here live only on BeExposedRadio.com. It is a wonderful Friday um, and had it not been for the wind that is howling, I would be out on my balcony doing this show right now. Uh, but I wanted to be professional and I wanted to have a nice quiet space. Um, uh, but today we have a special guest. We got Mr. Harold, Harold Pfeiffer. Uh, he is an author, and we'll learn a little bit more about who he is and uh, what led him to writing and his backstory and all that jazz. Uh, but before we start, there's a couple things that I wanted to talk about. One, uh, the Aretha series uh, on uh, National Geographic is out, um, and I got to see some snippets of it. Uh, unfortunately, um, I'm quite sure it's a good movie. Uh, but from what I saw, it didn't make me want to go and watch the series. Um, and I'm holding out until the official documentary, the official biopic is released sometime, I believe, in August or September, I believe. Uh, so it's no shade. I just don't I don't like um, the integrity of a lot of work that's coming out right now, especially when there are multiple stories. National Geographic could have really waited. Uh, to the official one, the one that was actually sparked by Aretha Franklin herself that came out, but everybody's trying to beat somebody to the punchline, and they released their uh, series on um, the National Geographic channel. Um, they're doing this series on geniuses, uh, and I watched a little bit of the um, uh, Albert Einstein, and I forgot who the second part of the series was for, and Aretha Franklin is the third part of this series, uh, Geniuses in History, um, and they selected her. Um, one of the things that I, National Geographic has begun to do these documentaries on people. They've moved away from just animal planet uh, <laughs> type of stories and uh, documentaries, and they're starting to do human life stories. Um, which is cool, uh, but I'm still not, I'm still kind of burnt out from them when they did a documentary here in Baltimore uh, about the crackheads at Lexington Market. Um, I'm still not, I don't like the way that was. It's one way to, it's a way to do um, drug addict documentaries, but it was, it was real tasteless. Um, and it really was like real slimy. And it was so out of character for National Geographic because I didn't even know they did personal interest stories, uh, but uh, they did. And I just didn't like, and it wasn't about them exposing the drug market here, but it was just the way it was done was real slimy as if that was all that Baltimore had to offer. Um, uh, but yeah, so that was, that's kind of my backstory on National Geographic. Um, and this, I saw a couple of the uh, musical clips from the show, and I just wasn't, I wasn't as impressed. She, and, and Revo, she has a great voice. Uh, um, I loved her in uh, Harriet, the Harriet Tubman uh, movie. Um, and I loved her on Broadway when she did The Color Purple. 
this just wasn't my favorite. It wasn't my favorite. I haven't seen the movie itself to be able to really give it a good critique, but it was interesting nevertheless uh, from what it, the, the snippets that I saw. Um, also, if you have not heard, I have a second podcast uh, called The Bingeworthy Podcast, uh, and myself and my co-host, uh, Mr. G. Oliver, we talk about movies and television. And once the world opens up a little bit more, we'll start talking about plays and such and musical events. Um, but we began to, uh, we began this last season. This is, we actually on midway on uh, our second season. Actually, we're going into episode eight next, actually nine next week. Uh, eight this was released this week. Um, and if you haven't, if you haven't watched it, you can go to our YouTube page at the Artist Exchange and you can binge watch it there. Uh, season one uh, was a little bit shorter than this season because we had a lot of feedback and a lot of interest and a lot of things that people wanted us to review. And I kind of incorporated that in, into season two. For the most part, we've had a lot of, uh, we've had a co-host on most of our shows, if not the bulk of our shows so far. Um, and we want to keep it moving. So if you want to co-host, if you're a movie buff, a TV buff, you can definitely join us. We still got a half a season to go. Um, last, uh, this week, we had uh, Amma Brown, if y'all remember Big Mama Amma, uh, and Blue Waters of the um, the cocktail social that comes on after this. They joined us this, this past Tuesday. So it's a great uh, uh, podcast, if I may say so myself, uh, where we, we discuss the historical, the cultural, and the social impact of movies, films, and television, uh, not just current uh, what's coming out new, but also past and uh, uh, possible uh, things. We, we talk a lot about things that we want to see. Um, and it's been really interesting having these conversations with our co-hosts, with my co-hosts and our guest co-hosts as well. Um, so definitely tune into that. You can go to the Binge Ready Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, uh, and you go to the Artist Exchange YouTube page and be able to watch all the past episodes of it. And speaking of YouTube, definitely go to the Be Exposed Radio uh, YouTube page, like, share, subscribe uh, to both pages, if you will, uh, and uh, catch up on shows. The Artist Exchange has been going for a minute now, and so there's a lot of shows on there, a lot of clips of behind the scenes on the show. So go to our page and check that out. Um, and we have a number of other shows on the station that you can also binge watch. But if you click subscribe, you'll get the notification when our shows go live. And we don't really bug you beyond that, but you just get the notification when the show goes live. So tune in. Um, if you want to comment today, uh, that number is, I believe, down on the left-hand side of the screen. It's over there. Uh, or you can give us a call uh, and, and let us know what you think. Um, I want to not go over time today, so we're going to bring in our guest, Mr. Harold Pfeiffer. I hope I'm saying his last name correct. Yes. How yes, you doing? I'm good. How you, how do you hear me? All right. So uh, how you doing today, sir? I'm good. I'm good. And yourself? Uh, I'm doing good. I've actually been uh, listening to your book on Audible, a great uh, invention from whoever Audible company created that. I was able to listen to, I think I'm on chapter 25 right now. Um, I've interviewed a lot of authors, so it gives me the flexibility to work 
in my many jobs uh, and uh, listen to the book. And it was very interesting and very entertaining up until this point. Uh, despite the subject matter, it was still very entertaining and very um, informative. I think it's a story that many people share, uh, especially amongst us Black, uh, black individuals um, and dealing with many layers and many different personalities within our home, within our family, within our community. Um, and I, I'm enjoying the book so far. Um, uh, and can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, introduce our audience to who you are and uh, what brought you to being an author? Hey, I'm a um, air traffic controller by trade, I guess, if they say. Okay. So using, uh -huh. uh, is that the Marines or the... What what's actually, line of services that are? Actually, I, you would call it civil service. I, I, okay. I, I started in the U.S. and the uh, FAA, Federal Aviation Administration. Okay. And it's, it's like the post office or say mm -hmm. uh, secret service, well, not secret, but secret service at a high level, but secret mm -hmm. service, post office, uh, that line. Okay? okay. And I did it in the U.S. for about 23 years and and the book kind of notes some of the problems I ran into. So I, I decided to leave, retire from there, and do mm -hmm. uh, international work. What I'm doing now, I'm a, I'm a contractor now. Okay. And actually, I work in Afghanistan. Wow. And, and like I said, the part I talked about Afghanistan was kind of like the beginning, then going backward, then coming forward in the book. Mm -hmm. And um, But anyway, um, I started... You know, I guess I always had that feel that I always wanted to write a book. And mm -hmm. um, and as my life started unfolding, I'm like, man, you know, there's some, you know, you, you write a book about this, you know, right? Mm -hmm. And also you get that feel for, you know, like, is it me? <laughs> let, let me tell this story. Let somebody tell me if it's me or this just crazy. Right, you know? right. Because you haven't really, you have really talked about it much. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, you lived it, but as you move on, you know, like say you, you move from high school to college, you kind of want to leave that behind. Mm. You know, you, you, then a little bit remnants of there in college, you know, you move on to your professional life. You're like, I'm not going to share this with anybody, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you go on, and, you know, and, and, you, and you, you know, get married, you build a life, blah, blah, blah. You, you don't really delve in much of it. And like I uh, talked about it in the book, then I was in this bombing that um, I thought I, yeah, I thought I was dead. I thought, you know, mm -hmm. come to get me in the time that I'm gonna die. And that's when it hit me like, you know, you always talked about writing that book and mm -hmm. you never did. And so that was on my mind. The, the weirdest thing, that was on my mind, you know, as much as trying to survive. Mm. Like, I get it. I get it. Writing yeah. a book can be really difficult, uh, especially when you are telling your story uh, by way of like introducing us to like family and friends and and loved ones. Uh, and that how challenging was that to write the book? Because you didn't really um, I mean, it, it's not like a salacious story, but it seems like it almost your mom is kind of like the central character or the person you talk about the most in the uh the, up into where i i'm at in the book it seems like your mom is kind of like the central thought that you have at that in the book yeah and, and i and later in the book you find out i kind of talked about everything 
leads back to her. Even though I, I sprung a different direction from talking about bullying, mm-hmm. kind of, uh, let's say, attempted sexual assault, um, you know, stories about coming of age, trying to date, you know, fail, fail efforts. But, you know, I mm-hmm. uh, talk about, you know, trying to, you know, building that self-confidence and, and you know, the family manipulation. But the, the schizophrenia kind of, kind of laid the groundwork of it all because, you know, that was all day, every day, whenever mm-hmm. I was around my mom. You know, there was no getting away from it. Growing up with a family member with uh, a mental uh, illness can be stressful, and it really does shape uh, you good or bad. And it's normally extreme shaping that happens in that individual's life as they grow older. Uh, how, How did that relationship with your mom translate into your relationship with adults as as you grew older oh wow um and it, it, it took a while to kind of you know it's hard to um assess yourself but it took mm-hmm. a while to kind of you know i guess you kind of see it all it's like i know i look for because i didn't have a relationship with my mom or a good one Mm-hmm. I looked for nurturing in the women I dated. Okay. You know, which was weird, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's normal, though. If you're missing something as a child, you normally seek that as an adult. Right, right, exactly. You're exactly right. Um, and, and like um, a kid that grew up without their mom, mm-hmm. they kind of had that, that fear of abandonment. Mm-hmm. I saw that in myself even in my dating world and, or let's say, my, you know, my uh, lost marriage, you know, I, I saw that, that, you know, I didn't totally realize it, but mm-hmm. looking back, yeah, I did kind of have that. Um, I never felt that, that real security, you know. Mm-hmm. Was it, was it kind of looking for, like you said, nurturing or was it more leaning on someone a little too much or? Like how how did it manifest itself in your like say your marriage or your friendships? I've had spotty friendships, you know. Uh, I kind of talked about that a little bit, but um, marriage wise, yeah, I think I may have expected too much, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird. Like you know, I I can expect too much out of marriage, but well, I think I did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, because you know, was I that based really, on what you wanted or what you had seen from other places? Or here's the weird thing TV, mm, okay. Since I didn't have a you know, family, you know, good, you know, base or dynamic, I thought it was what I saw on TV. Mm. <laughs> so, I get it, I get yeah. it. So, you know, so that was kind of what I was pulling from, and like. And I realized, and even this, what you see on TV is probably, you know, not, not even the way families truly uh, interact, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah, that was where, and uh, you know, watch a lot of TV. It set a lot of ground for how I thought and how I interacted with people. It 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 really uh, just at where I'm at right now, and just listening uh, up until the point where I'm at now. Um, Writing a book about this type of subject matter can be really difficult. You know, uh, I, I speak a lot about this uh, 
kind of three-year journey that I'm on in writing a book about the same, not the same types of issue, but from the perspective of my childhood looking from it as an adult looking back at it. And it's difficult because if those people aren't, you know, having transitioned on or passed away, it's hard to really write that story honestly um, or keep people from not wanting the salaciousness because you still want these people to come across as humans um, and they still are your loved ones. But how easy or difficult was it to write this story from the perspective of these are your, your loved ones? Love on this loosely, right? Okay, <laughs> and that's sad. That's sad, but I admit it. Okay, um, but the the I met my dad when I was twenty one, and okay. built a relationship with my stepbrother, stepsister, and stepmom. Mm-hmm. My dad has passed. There's a lot I wanted to dig into, but exactly what you're saying, because of those relationships, I held back. Mm. It's very ugly, but it's a lot of hell back. But, yeah. but, but you know, like I told some relatives and friends, I said the pain is still there. And you know, and I, I've talked to people about them having um, issues with you know their absent father. I said, you know, if you ever meet him, you know, because you know I've, I've talked to some younger guys that got to know their dad. You know, mm-hmm. and I said, well, you know, is with a weird relationship because not much he can do, maybe do something for your kids, but not much he can really feel, especially if he, you know, hadn't succeeded or, or hasn't prospered very much. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be all on you where that relationship goes. Yeah. So that's kind of weird that, you know, things with my dad, it didn't happen, but I wanted to. I wanted to dump. I really did. Um, the best thing that happened was uh, in writing this story, it was kind of like uh, therapy. And mm-hmm. when you get to um, a chapter called um, Dinner at Two, that's when the tide turned for me. Um, well, writing the book itself, even though it, you know it's kind of like Kevin Hart, I, I wanted to write it where People could laugh at my pain, mm-hmm. you know? and the more, the more you can at this stage now, you see a lot of me trying to uh, mask the pain with humor. Okay, mm-hmm. and a lot, a lot of things were funny, you know. Yeah, the person and, who you got to read—I forgot his name—who was reading uh, your audible. Uh, it, it, your words mixed with his his tone. It, you got the sense of. It's much more to this story, but almost as if you wanted you wanted to move forward. So I'm 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 getting this out, but I still want to move forward. Uh, right. Have you have you ever sought therapy or tried to uh, get some counseling for you know some of the issues that you were carrying in along with you? Uh, about fifteen years ago, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, maybe not as much as I should have. But, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Um, I guess it with luck or whatever. Or some have faded away. I found different ways to deal with it. Um, you know, I don't have any, I don't have any, no no drinking problem or anything like that, no drug <laughs> problem. Or, or uh, 
not uh, lashing out, you know, no issue. Like, it's just something that, you know, I, I finally kind of, mm-hmm. you know, been able to dress some pieces of it. It, it could be, and, and I'm, I'm saying this because it still amazes me how people can finish uh, books in this nature that is so personal to them because it's almost like, you know, giving birth to a baby and then sending them off to preschool. Like that's a scary thing to just let your, not only your story, you know, go public, but letting it go in a way where, you know, also your loved ones are are up for scrutiny or, you know, it, and you did it in a way where you addressed issues, but you didn't beat any of, I didn't, you know, you talk about your aunt being an opportunist, but you didn't beat her over the head or punish her in this book. But it was more so just exposing how, you know, often family members can really contribute to the, you know, the trauma that we we have both directly and indirectly, you know, and other people's behavior around children can be very, it can be detrimental because you, as a child, you just absorb those things. And adults don't often think, you know, we hear or we see or we understand. And often our understanding may be lacking because of our experience level and our age. Uh, but we we understand the words are being used. We just don't know. And that makes it worse because then we don't know what to do with those things coming from other people, those personalities, those traumas from other people. Um, how how has your experience, say, with your parents and your loved ones kind of affected you or not? Or how do you deal with your children? Oh, man. Um, I'm, I'm a pushover. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm. uh, <laughs> I them. Um, I try to be there on every issue. I I try to be super dad without being their friend. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we've had some point where it's like, yeah, um, I got to be hard. You know, we've had mm-hmm. that, but as long as they've gone with gone along with things, I thought that was, you know, respectful and what I wanted. I've I've been way over the top on my kids. I, I think that they they would say the same thing. There, there was one uh, moment in a book where you talked about uh, uh, your mom doing a talent show when you were younger. Right. Um, and it's and it gave me it actually made me journal a little bit, do some needed writing uh, after I listened to that part, because one of the things that happened, even though we may grow up as, you know, traumatized or rough childhoods, we don't often give our parents that space that, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to be human. You know, I, one of the things that sh- kind of turned me around with my relationship with my mom was her telling me that me being her first child I taught her how to be a parent and I was it threw me off like you didn't know how to do this what was I (laughs) just a test study you know and it really affected me in that small millisecond and then so much cleared up like she did not have a a rule book for this. It was no, you know, even though she was the oldest of 11 children, that's still not her children. You know, she knew nurturing, she knew basic um, uh, parenting things, 
but she didn't really know how to be a mother. Nobody teaches you that, even right. though people show you is a totally different thing when you're learning it on the job. Uh, so how in that moment, going back to that story, how did that change your mind or did it alter how you saw your mom that she had a skill set that you didn't even think she could have? Oh, boy, no, man. I mean, even we, we're talking, I was seven, I think, at the time, and the kind of love-hate was already building. Mm-hmm. And we talk about anxiety, man. I'm like, this is the end of me. I mean, she always took every opportunity to embarrass me. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, she, she was, um, I said, she had some issues. And... And the person who got it the most was me because I was stupid enough to engage you all the time. Mm, I, I yeah. was the one that around all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and in so many ways, I guess you can say I needed it because, um, like I say, as I got older, my brothers, you know, they quit school at an early age and went off to do their thing, but I was always there, you know. Mm-hmm. So I caught it all right. So, but mm-hmm. back to when I was seven, though, um, me and my older brother, he had, he was about. 10 and somehow we took home this uh, note of a talent show they wanted the parents to um, participate and we like how the hell she find out you know so we're freaking out <laughs> you know you know i mean she's down a number on us every day every you know like she, she riding a bicycle she she cussing out the friends she act up in church i mean she's done a number every chance she's got mm. oh so Man, do I want her at my school, center stage, you know? Mm. No, not only no, but hell no, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you're seven and you're like, I mean, I'm not, the, the moment, even up even to the moment that it happened, I was almost in tears. And mm. I, you know, I'm like, because this is. Anxiety this was, was setting in. Oh, oh, God, yeah. So when she started, and even before she started, like I said in the book, Everybody laughing because they're like, there's that crazy lady up here. Mm. You know? So, you know, the prince would tell everybody, you know, calm down, right? And then she started, you know, in, in doing the um, the Lincoln speech. Uh, and it just, you know, it blew the crowd away, but it blew me away. Mm. And, and everybody, you know, afterwards she got a stand ovation. And, and I mean, I was almost in tears because I was shocked. Mm. I, you know, I'm shocked and proud, you know, like. Because wow. you only saw this one image of who she was. You didn't get to see anything deeper than that. Right. You sitting there like, wow, that's my mom? You know? Mm-hmm. And, but it was, you know, it was back to normal the next day. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, back to riding a bike, embarrassed me, whatever. But for that moment, I was like, Wow, I mean, I you know, you know, you know, the kid. Yeah, it, it's easy to impress a kid with something, but this was like, this was like unbelievable. This, this, you know, you, you know, you, you couldn't, have, you couldn't have planned it better, you know. Mm. And, and you know, I like to always preface a statement by I'm quite sure this these things happen to other cultures, but I know specifically what has happened within our culture and how the the generational trauma has been passed down. And this person beats that person and then that person beats the next person uh, figuratively and 
you know, literally. Uh, but uh, often, and that's one of the things that I'm kind of meditating over now, just giving people space, not to just run rampant, but in our understanding of them, because normally there's a whole story behind current behavior. And sometimes it's just not, and most times there is. Uh, so seeing that kind of glimpse into maybe who she had been before you all, um, I, I would imagine this would have sparked your 17-year-old curiosity at that point. Like, what else is there? What else, you know, was there other glimpses of that person she was or other aspects or faces that she could have? been that she didn't normally show and you're right i i thought about that many times mm-hmm. but because i'm like i like it there had to be something there and 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 also by she was almost just absent i mean she was functional get up go to work you know sometimes <laughs> well she didn't go to work but she'll get fired or whatever lose the job yeah. that's the job that's the job so but, she had aspects of being functional. It wasn't like she was totally absent. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But it but responsible she wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, um I mean I I touched in the book whether if I brought home a, a elf, it wouldn't matter. If I uh there there's a time I stay away from home for weeks, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um it, you, you see what I'm saying it just it wasn't there mm. and and you wonder wow what happened and of course you know they say well she had a mickey uh, somebody gave her, mm-hmm. her a mickey. but you know back to my aunt i'm like she didn't care either i'm like she should try to get her some help or mm-hmm. i don't know why she going through this take the kids or something you know it, it just wasn't there and 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 that's why i call it surviving chaos because I saw so much of it, you know, mm. almost at every turn. Does it affect how you see people now? Like when you're introduced to people, does it affect how you see them? Or do you have preconceived notions or, you know, our first experiences, your only image of a person? I got this weird thing. And I, I try to explain to people once I get to know them. I got mm-hmm. this weird thing. I ask you where you come from. Mm. And almost when it, maybe not after as soon as I meet you, but I have an interest in where you come from, what motivated you to do what you do. Because mm. my whole life was about keeping the strength, stay motivated, stay focused, get through this, ignore that. So, you know, as I meet people, especially um, aggressive people. It just in my head, like, wow, how did they do it? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, it, it's almost like I'm telling myself they had chaos too. Yeah. You know, it's like, how do they get around it? You know? Mm-hmm. And, and and it, it a- that's a coping mechanism that many of us uh, do because we're trying to find that commonality in people. Yeah. But also, you know, do you have the roadmap to to getting out of this mindset? You know, I know right. for me, I, I, uh, I don't normally be as direct and ask that question. But I do ask questions around that, you know, just to understand where people are coming from or why their behavior, good or bad, is, mm-hmm. is you know, and is always 
you know, a direct reflection of their experience because some people are able to move forward and not be, I'm always amazed at people who don't have any remnants or reaction to how they were raised versus people who are a direct reflection of how they were raised, good, bad, or indifferent. I'm always amazed at individuals who can come through unscathed, but many people are walking around functionally uh, traumatized and they are good at compartmentalizing. And that was me. I was good at compartmentalizing any trauma that I had been through, but it would come out in other ways. And it wasn't until I've gotten a little bit older to, and I understand, ooh, so I have short patience for people. Oh, okay, so that's, oh, okay, I get it now. Oh, okay. And then now you, you start understanding your behavioral patterns. And like, that's how I dealt with that experience. And now this is how I deal with people who give me kind of a, a glimpse as to that person that they represent in my life. But um, were you able to reach any level of resolve with your mom? I would say, yeah. Uh, as mm-hmm. I got older, she was, she started, and they say pipe down a little bit. And, and I wasn't living in the house. <laughs> which mm-hmm. made and, um, and, and and I guess I, I stopped being so um, trying to hold her to the fire on things. You know, there, there's no need to anymore. Mm-hmm. So I did see a change. And I guess you say both of us. Okay. Yeah. But was it, she able to meet your children? Yes. And she was, well, actually she met my daughter, never met my son. Uh, she she passed in 2017, but never met my son. Mm-hmm. Um, but she charming, you know, love kids. Mm-hmm. But it was just something about she and I. I don't know why, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know she was somewhat color struck. Well, there, my older brother was very light skinned. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, we had different fathers, but he was very light skinned. And it, it came out at least once that you know she. She called my uh, one of my best friends, who's very dark, in a, a you know derogatory term, and I was shocked because I'm sending them like my mom complexion, you know, like <laughs> who are you to? And, and I'm practically dark, and you know, and I'm mm-hmm. so, like, how dare you, you know? And so, but that someone. shows you the level how she sees herself. If you are kind of a mirror image of her, that that shows you how much or what she thinks of herself. And it's a, it's a lot, within our families, these black families, it's so many layers of hate, self-hate, and this envy and jealousy and survival that, you know, your aunt sounds like, a, in the listening to you talk about her in the book, it, it sounds like she was a survivor. And, and sometimes that survival mechanism comes out in not so nice ways. You know, but they that person always seems to get over or get by and get through life. And you don't know what they've had to, you know, do to get to that point, not in terms of their actions, but what things they had to turn off in themselves to be that person, you know, and trauma just, you know, I'm I'm so happy when I hear books like this because it shows many of us who gets to read them 
we all share commonality. I don't care how wealthy your family was or how connected. We all have layers or hidden parts to our family. I was just talking about the Aretha story uh, that's out now. And, you know, part of the torment that you see coming out in this movie and, and her story is her trying to continue that legacy of hiding the negative and just trying to show this image of what a family is. And some some families are good at it, some families not so well. <laughs> but yeah. I, I'm, I love your book uh, because it was, it was, it, and it felt like from a child's perspective uh, or someone looking back uh, into a childhood and just trying to find, you know, where the pieces are, you know, what what did you want to accomplish from writing this book? Well, you, you know, I hope other people can read it and see their family or see themselves or or see a way to, um, you know, maintain your confidence and, and or see that, you know, you can press, per, uh, persevere through this, which mm-hmm. I have to do, you know. Um, some of the ugliness, um, I went there, but... You know, it's kind of like better spoken, like if you know, in in, in a uh, a talk or or a discussion. But it, I went there about sexual assault. Um, mm. Nothing bad happened, but I witnessed some. There was attempts made, you know. You know and um, keep talking. And keep like talking. I, I'm sorry. It's okay. And like I said, I went there because it's like. Parents don't know it, and you know I'm I'm now a grandparent, you know, and and I, and I shared with my daughter, I'm like, you have no idea where some of the the, the ugliness come from, or you know, people trying to take advantage, and you know, with me, it was more of bullies, you know, trying to, you know, uh, take advantage, but it's shocking, and I even I even witnessed or saw other people. Who were victims that couldn't defend themselves, mm. and like yeah. I said, I went there lightly, you know. But it's it's deeper than I guess most people want to admit. And somebody who got out of it, imagine the people who did not get out of it, who who couldn't fight back. Imagine if you are living with that memory. Imagine what they're living through, and then the people who was it's happened throughout their childhood. Yeah, um, I agree, I agree. And, and you know, I, I did a little coaching. Um, I, I coached a little girls uh, AU basketball, mm-hmm. and even like they even told my kids, I said, you know, you gotta be careful because it only take one time, and that's why you should tell the parents. I said, mm-hmm. I have no problem asking me any question or doing any background check. Or, because they only take one time to script your kids. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say, yeah, I mean, it It doesn't bother me, any, you know, at all. You might ask me a question, but I but I, I take that forward as, in, as a parent, as a relative, you know, be careful, you know, don't, you know, don't let anyone make you feel guilty about, you know, your kid not at the birthday party, your kid not at the sleepover, or your like mm-hmm. you know, it only one stupid opportunity for someone to screw the kid. Mm, and often the, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to to you know how children get molested or 
right. touched. Uh, but often it's the child that people feel like aren't being watched. They, you know, no matter how wealthy or poor your family may have been, they watch children who aren't being watched mm-hmm. and aren't being attended to. So those That's are the children that people. normally get the brunt of this yeah. first. Yeah. Uh, if they don't feel like you, somebody's paying attention, if they notice nobody's home for long periods of time, you know, those are the pe- people that they gravitate. We hear that throughout history. It's always when that child was by themselves or left unattended, even when it was a whole house full of people downstairs, it still happened because nobody was paying attention to where that child was or their well-being. Um, before you click that final enter for this book to be put on Audible or Amazon or to be published in general, what was that deep breath you took? Like, what was that that thought that you had, that last deep breath you took before this was real, like a tangible uh, a thing? It was more of, I, you know, I've I, I tried to write, you know, a few other books, but it, it was more of uh Wow, I got it out. Mm. More of a, 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 a release. Um, and of course, you know, trying to be an author is more of, you know, you feel like you completed something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was more of, and of course, you know, like on the author side, like, I hope people like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope it succeeds. Um, Were you worried about co workers or? you know, friends, neighbors, reading this and discovering something about you that you didn't tell? You know, here's the thing. My mom embarrassed me so much that it's hard to embarrass me. Mm. <laughs> so when I threw it out there for all my workers and friends and all this, it didn't face me at all. Mm. Even, even though I, I know I opened myself up to the world. It didn't face right. me at all. Um, but by the same token, um, I felt good that I did. Um, and like I said, was it a I, relief? That was that good feeling of relief, or yeah, it was. Okay, it was. Um, and and you know, and and I guess you know, writing a book like that, you, you understand. I I cried twice writing this book at mm. the stop, and um, and at the end, same thing, right at the end. What was that and thing that evoked that emotion? Just knowing what all I've been through. Mm. And knowing how it could have been so, so different. I, I, I talked about um, going to my dad's funeral. And um, the funny thing was, you know, I'm his oldest son, and, and they're part of a um, middle to upper middle class family. Which I was didn't grow up on a man. I grew up Porsche, you know, all get out. So I'm sitting there on the first row, and well, before I got there, I still had this anger, you know, that you know mm. I, he wasn't nothing to me. He didn't accept me. Didn't accept my daughter, you know. Uh, just all this this rage in my head, right? So I get there, nobody's crying at the funeral but me, mm. <laughs> you know. I'm sitting there just embarrassed, can't get a hold of myself because it was obvious. I'm on the front row. And it's How like, old were you? Oh, 
what was that about um, 33, something like that. Wow. Yeah, so I'm sitting there, this wreck. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not boohooing, but just can't stop the tears. Mm. You know, I'm wiping tears. I'm trying to gather myself and, and you know, and I'm coyly looking around and see if anybody else is crying. Nobody else is crying. Would you, and it, I'm asking this question because it's a question that was asking me. Would you have rather him not be in your life at all where you would not have had to experience that moment? Or were you appreciative that you even, you had that much time? Because 30 years is still a lot of time to have a second, third, 20th chance at making things different. Um, no one ever asked that question, but I, I, that's a good one. No doubt, I'd rather for him not to. Um, mm. I met him at 21, and I altered some, per, some things in my life that I otherwise would not have. Mm-hmm. And they went badly for me. Or like, like I said, you know, I altered the ass in. Yeah, I kind of wanted to win him over. Okay. And then you feel like you really didn't, or you really didn't make the impact you, you hope or the connection. And it's kind of like, what the hell I do that for? That wasn't me. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So you know, I would, you know, you're 21. You, you got your own personality. You know, you're building your own world. And did I need him? Yes. Did I get much help? No, but a little tad bit. I, I'd be lying to say I didn't. Mm-hmm. But could I have done without it? Out, out the little help. Yeah, I could have. Mm-hmm. I could have. Um, and some people wouldn't understand that. So I, I hope I didn't offend you by asking that question. No, but some, no. some of us, we who have gone through that separation and not having a father in our lives, some of us, you know, I, I see the difference in the brief moment that I had with my dad. And I'm glad on certain levels that he died when I was younger versus being 30 some years old and having to know all that time had passed and there was no outreach of a hand or no even, you know, real attempt to make it better or to just change and do better, you know? So it's, it's a real question. And I, you know, I, I still have, am kind of on a fence about what my answer, my final answer would be because it changes sometimes because sometimes you wish you had that moment back. Sometimes you're like, why am I here? Because I remember being at my dad's funeral and it was the exact opposite. Everybody was crying and I felt like the weird one because I was because you don't have that relationship. Right. And it's right. it feels weird the sometimes. Bond, the bond is not there to mm-hmm. that extent. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, like the two things that I wish it was um someone to talk to, or I say two things, um, or talk to about my relationship with my mom. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, like you said, you know, maybe this, and maybe give me a little advice through the year. It, it was definitely not about money. You know, mm-hmm. because I, I was kind of a hustler. I could always find a job here and there, you know. <laughs> so it wasn't really about money, but for a minute, I thought, well, hey, you know, you know, when I met him, like, Maybe give me a little money. I can start working so hard, start studying more. You know, that was my mindset. You know, and but it wasn't that, the money. It was just 
that's still nurturing. Like, give me something right. to validate our titles in each other's lives. Right. Right. And you're right. But um, that was weird. I, I, I talked to, oh, it's a couple of those, man, that, um, like, when I met him for the, the first real time, mm-hmm. um, that was very real, very shocking. And um, um, the name of that story is like, and who are you? Mm. And I don't want to tell it all, but he walked in and he didn't know who I was. Mm. I was 17 years old. And um, we knocked each other on, on, you know, with what we told about ourselves, we knocked each other on our ass, if you like to say that. And when he found out he was standing right across from his son, didn't know who he was, he stumbled. And, Mm. And... it pretty much fell into the seat. It it is you know those those relationships in our family really make or break us, uh, and not even on the break side, but it really shapes who we are. I'll say it that way. It really shapes who we are, uh, whether it be especially a mother son relationship, a father son relationship, you know. And many people think beyond that, it really don't matter. But those relationships matter because they become almost like a scar, you know, in our development, you know, and, and who we are, those extra relate, those quote unquote extra outside relationships outside of our parents, uh, because everybody is there to help or add to what they're doing or what they can't do. Uh, so when those relationships are rocky or not so good, it really turns you know, a lot of stuff on its head in terms of our development and our ability to communicate or, you know, see other people. Um, in terms of you being an author, um, what what do you want to say in your, like, subsequent books from this point on? Because you've told a lot of your story. Are there any other subjects connected to this or not that you want to talk about or address? Well, the first book was... Um sleepwalking out of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't edited. Something, a lot of things didn't happen outside of my writing. <laughs> so, um, so uh, Surviving Chaos is kind of like the uh, sequel. It's, it's like that book plus more. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to do another one unless, and I thought about it, like if my dad, Pat, or a correction, not my dad, my my stepmother passed. I thought about it, but I might go ahead and dig in on it. But right now, I'm like that story, just you know, I, you know, I take with me. Um, the book itself is a lot of, lot of humor, a lot of humor, and, and I intended it that way. I I didn't want no one to read the book and spend the whole time feeling down or depressed or you know low spirit. I wanted to tell it. And, and and make you and bring you along with some laughter. Okay. Mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. And like even though I'm math and some pain, but I, I wanted to bring you along. And so with that, I'm like, well, you know, I got a lot of zany humor. So mm-hmm. I um <laughs> so I penned another book um uh on a pseudonym, uh which is out also called uh Fool Me Thrice. Wow. It, What's that one about? <laughs> Um, we're story, we're story. 
It's about this guy who was the son of a funeral director who was a womanizer. Mm. And so, you know, his parents got killed. He lost it all. And um, so he's trying to find his way again. And so, you know, he's trying to find love and all that. So I won't tell it all, but it, it's under the uh, pseudonym uh, Dean Cooney. Uh, C-O-N-N-A-N. And um, it's called Fool Me Thrice. And it's, you can pick up some of the zany humor. Um, and it's somewhat, I guess you can say, a lot of, there's some womanizing in it, but it, it's a, that's for a reason. It, it's, it's set up for a reason. Did you, did you know you would be an author? Was that part of the plan or the strategy or? Kind of, you know, I, I kind of fantasize about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think I could write a book, kind of, you know what I'm saying? But never thought I would. I thought I'd do at least one. And okay. I, I've, I've done a five, published three. So, okay. and I think I got at least two to three more in me for right now. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting journey, but on the business side of it, because Miss Johnson, Miss Patricia, is doing her business. She said the books can be found on rnrfreepress.com. So go out and purchase that book, uh, Surviving Chaos. How I, what's the byline? I think I yeah. should have wrote it down. Right. Uh, no, I think it's at, at a beach bar. Where, where did that that title come from? Um, met this white guy in Thailand and okay. he started to pull it out of me. <laughs> I'm sitting there, you know, thinking, you know, hey, I, I escaped Afghanistan with my life. You know, mm-hmm. of course, there's some stuff about the book in the head. And we sitting at the bar drinking, and she start quizzing me and mm-hmm. start telling the story, you know. So that, that's how I found peace at a beach bar. We, we're sitting there mm-hmm. sharing drinks, and I told the story of my life. And, I, you know, I do workshops in, in helping people to kind of categorize, categorize or uh, pull out stories in terms of like legacy stories, you know, a family member that may have passed on, just keeping that story alive and how to document it. And normally when you sit down and talk to people, it's really hard for them to, they normally answer your question and that's it. They don't elaborate. They don't go any deeper. You know, you ask them about this person. Oh, they were pretty good. And the more comfortable you make the person, the more that story kind of comes out uh, and, I, I the, the best part of the black culture to me is, and it's kind of morbid, but it's that week that a family member dies in a black family. You normally find one home to convene to, um, and everybody from everywhere come and and join the conversation. But you start hearing these funny stories come out. These did you know or? these anecdotal stories about the person and depending on where the family is and their trauma, it may can go left or it can go right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that is my favorite childhood memory of our black culture is that mm-hmm. week that a person dies, you know, and, and it's unfortunate that we, we don't often find ways to kind of capsule that feeling and kind of mm-hmm. sprinkle it out over time. Uh, but that's normally the best storytelling time in most families because it's kind of they stuck on that one person and then all of their individual stories start coming out. Um, 
is, is are there any other uh, family stories that you wanted to? I know you were just talking about the one with your dad, but the, are there any other family stories you want to talk about? I wrote one about my aunt, which I'm not going to publish unless I get unless I get popular. <laughs> you know, so it, it has no value unless people really know me. Then they're like, huh, let, let me read about the story about Harold Pfeiffer, you know. So mm. you can get one out there, memoir, but maybe probably not to, you know, unless you're okay. fine. And um, it is wild. It's crazy. Um, it really goes right at her. <laughs> like mm. you said, if anybody really throwing the buzz, it would be her and my older brother, but it was right at her. And but once again, it was therapeutic. Um, and, um, and and the funny thing, I, you know, just sharing, if I ever do it, I'm sure I'll rename it. But the name of it that I, I had created was uh, Go to he- Go to Hell on a Cat. Mm. <laughs> it's their killing. I mean, mean spirit, <laughs> but it, it came from a, a hurtful place. Too, you know, you know. Mm. Well, that, like, and even with her, were there even all the, the stress that she probably lent to your story, were there any human qualities in her that you saw poking out? Like that moment at seven when you saw your mom kind of take you back, you know, and realize there was, you know, there were things about this person that if, if you got rid of all the other stuff, this would be a great human being right here. Were there any memories of, of that aunt? You you probably haven't got to this part, but it's a story called "Even the Devil Needs a Heart." Okay, <laughs> so um, I was about thirty eight, thirty nine. She she uh, called me up. I was in Memphis, and she was um, I'm telling the story, but I, I don't care. She called me up, and she said she um, she come to stay at my place because she need to have a quintuplet bypass in Memphis. Mm. And from, from my hometown, Columbus to Memphis, like uh, 160 miles. So she drove up, stayed at my place, and the next day went for, I guess, um, a uh, consultation. And after that, the surgery. So, one, I'm shocked that, you know, you're just going to call me up and say you're coming. And one, and, and two, we didn't have that good of a relationship, but okay, we're family, we're family right? So she comes up, and um, and so, you know, I'm taking off a little bit from work, you know. So I, I, I'm with her in the morning. I pray, you know, I get there early in the morning. Then after work, I go there and I, and I pray with her before I go home. So, like you said, the human part, right? So we're praying, mm-hmm. we're praying. So in, in, the, in the interim, so I'm trying to contact people. She told me, you know, you know her uncle or my uncle, her uh, favorite brother, was the youngest in the family. He's like, like he's younger than my, my mom. Um, and then my brother, who was her surrogate kid, right? And then, you know, in, in the pastor, which she looked up to, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, probably more than God himself. Mm-hmm. And so I called my uncle first, called him first, you know, because I'm thinking, I had never heard of a quintuplet, man. I, you know, I, I had, you know, <laughs> and then I think someone even told me the heart only had four bales. So I never heard of a quintuple. So I'm like, man, you know, this is not good. You know, this is what, uh, 90s, in the 90s. So 
I called the brother, uh, correct my brother Malcolm. And it was like he wanted me to get off the phone. <laughs> it was like he didn't say anything, what hospital, what phone number, what room. He just said, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm like, wow, that's strange. <laughs> <laughs> I called the pastor. So <clears throat> same thing. He didn't say, you know, um, well, we're praying for her or what room she in. Or, you know, I want to send her some blessing or, you know, you know, I'll be asking the church, you know, to, to say something, some word. It was nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> then I called my brother, which been spoiled by this, by this lady. And nothing. You know, it was more of, you know, basically I almost got in a fight with him because he had nothing to say. <laughs> okay. So anyway, it, 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 I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. So the church member did, you know, you know, she how's she doing? Let me know, call me, blah, blah, you know, whatever. So after she had the surgery, after she came through with it, same thing. You know, I called him back again and I'm like, hey, she had a surgery, look like she's doing good. You know, the, the <laughs> uncle said nothing. The uh, the uh, pastor said nothing. My brother said nothing, you know. So then it hit me. I'm like, that's when it really, really hit me. You must really be evil as hell because nobody cares. <laughs> Not even with a pastor. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. no one cares. But after she came out, um, and I talked about it, I mentioned it in the book, all that praying did change her, and it, and it changed me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was trying to be more more of a you know great nephew more more uh, tentative um mm-hmm. she, she was more sweet you know um and then the weird thing she tried to she wanted to give me money and i didn't need it you know <laughs> i was mm-hmm. doing okay and i'm like um i don't need it okay I'm, I'm okay and she's like no no I, I need to give you some money i said you know i'm going back and forth i don't need it and i then i finally just relented like hey I said, okay, we'll call it a loan. So I, I kept, it was about maybe, I don't know, two or $3,000. And we just nice chunk, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I held on to it for about three months and, you know, and gave it back. Yeah, thanks for the loan. You know, it really came in hand, you know, whatever, right? And and, and I talked about that. That's the only time I saw for being human. Mm. And, and that was weird. And after that, you know, I talked about after that, she, she went back being that crazy, huh? <laughs> you know? And just the and 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 not even defending these people, but something happened, you know, a course of events or some moment, just like with your mom, a moment happened that switched everything or yeah. that kind of laid the foundation. And I think that was the hardest part for me in writing my story. And then when I hear other people understanding their story, because you're, you're looking for what happened to that, but like who raised you? Like what happened to you or what, yeah. what led to you being this individual, you right. know, and that's normally the resolve that I, I look for in a story and, and something like that, a glimpse, you know, you never know when guilt, how guilt affects people or mm-hmm. how, you know, how she treated you as a child, maybe that was on her mind in that moment, you know, when you sitting there and your your life is in the the balance, you know, right. being kind to someone, realizing you don't really have anything kind 
you know, because as a child, whenever I would go to a funeral, I would look at the caravan. And that shows you who that person was, you know, in life, that caravan that takes you to the cemetery. How right. how how it snakes through that cemetery and how long is it? How many people came? It normally sums up your life in, in many in many you know aspects. But you know who's going to be? You know what does that dash represent in your life? And and that's a story. I mean that's a story in and of itself. You know just that redempting quality that a person may have at the end of their life or uh, as, a, as a segment of their life where everything changes for them. You know, maybe she started treating people better when she realized <laughs> nobody sent flowers or cards or, or called her, you know, but. I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> you know, the weird thing she, she, you know, we had a couple of conversations, you know, cause she was um, convalescent at, at my house. Mm-hmm. And, she told me, you know, she said, I didn't think he cared. So we talked about that. I was like, where do you get that from? You know, it just, she can't control me. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. But fast forward, um, a couple years later, I sent her a birthday card and with some money. And you know how you, your card had those character truths on it? Like, could be puppies, could be uh, Snoopy, could be uh, Garfield, you know, whatever, right? <laughs> So she tell my nephew, he showed me how much he cared about me. He sent me a car with a dog. <laughs> that's yeah. guilt, but that's guilt though. That's that's guilt. Yes. It's mm-hmm. like you're like, I can't wait for losing you. Know? <laughs> like, these, I, I love having these interactions and conversations with authors because you really get into who they are, especially when they write stories that includes them. I think that's so personal for an artist. That's so, you know, because uh, many people are trying to be something that they're not. So when you get a moment to really open a window or open a door into who you really are, I like those stories because it gives you a lot of, you know, uh, context to, to who that person is and where they're coming from. So that question that you ask the people is a very interesting question to me because it, it doesn't necessarily create a bias. It could in some in some instances, but it definitely shows you where they are in terms of what you see in front of you and how they got to that point. Um, I, I wanna, I, before Ms. Johnson jump through the screen, I wanna make sure we get out the business of who you are as an artist and make sure people can find the books. But can you tell people where they can find this book uh, surviving chaos and your other books as well. Yeah, other it's, book. Yeah, it's on um, Amazon for sure. It's mm-hmm. on uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, surviving chaos. How I found uh, peace at the beach bar by Carol Pfeiffer, of course. Mm-hmm. Or you can go to my website and order from there on uh, like R N R Freepress dot com. Right. And, uh, and and like I said, fool me thrice. It's under Dean Coonan. Um, and it's also right now just the uh, ebook is on Amazon. Okay. Called, and you Thrive. go to Audible, I guess through Amazon. Yeah. It was a, it was great listening to you to your story. Good. It's um, Suleiman Great uh, Wilson is the guy that, that did the uh, narration. He's and, a, uh, tell him I said he did a good job because he kept you interested in the story. Appreciate it. Like I said, the more you read. To, or the more you listen, you're gonna like it better and better, especially when you get to some of the 
But it's all crazy. I'm like, <laughs> but I mean, I touched on racism. I touched on dating. I touched on well, fa- fail dating. It's like I, I would tell people. I said, I said I like to tell people stories about my uh, uh, where I fail. I said because you know, you know, anything success people see is brag. And so, so I like to make fun of where I fail, mm. and and those the stories I told in the book, you know. I'm I'm really happy for you and anything I can do to help you continue to push the book. Don't don't hesitate to reach out and connect. Um uh where can people find you at on social media? Are you big on social media? Um Twitter. I'm um R and R Free Press on Twitter. Um same place that Facebook or Harold Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. Um Instagram not as good, not as heavy and Pinterest not as heavy, but uh, I'm I'm trying to work. We all time. learning. We all learning. I know yeah. I'm learning too. Yes. Um, any last minute uh, information you want to put out in terms of advice to new authors or people who thinking about writing their story? Any advice you want to give to them? Yeah, keep writing. Uh, the hard thing is, uh, you know, <laughs> completed. I guess sometimes. Keep writing. Um, it's easy to get distracted because you know you mostly all of us got jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be discouraged. Or avoiding, don't get avoided. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, all of us got jobs, uh, so you you gotta make yourself uh, stick it out. Mm-hmm. Um, don't um, you know? Keep your confidence because. <clears throat> You never know something that you write and may be unique. It may be mm-hmm. a new um, uh, paradigm, like um, uh, Harry Potter. Okay. I mean, that just hit us out of nowhere, you know. Well, <laughs> I'm old to say that. But, but you, you know what I'm saying? That, like, you never know what may take off. Um, yeah, somebody may not like it. Uh, that uh, Another person may not like it. But then you may hit that right niche that takes off, you know. Right. Right. It is it, definitely uh, I think being an author is a job in and of itself um, within even within the arts. Uh, and it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there like that, because, you know, writing a book, you know, who's going to read it? And, and especially if you write in a book about your personal life, you know, with how people bash things nowadays, it makes people not want to be that personal um, and just be fictional. You know, how do you classify yourself as a writer? Wow, um, just entertainer. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I I got that zany humor in me that itching to get out a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So even though I like to write my memoir with a lot of humor, I say, "Boo uh, me thrice." Yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess you have to be sick to like the humor. I guess I don't know. <laughs> uh, but then I'm trying to do a follow-up to Put Me Thrice. Uh, that one, mm-hmm. is, I'm kind of uh, a writer's block on that one right now. But then there's like two others that I want to do that, like I said, I think eventually yeah, I, I kind of carve my own left. You know, say, hey, he got this weird humor. You know, he, he tells these story, but, you know, I kind of <laughs> want to laugh. I can't laugh, but it is kind of funny, you know, kind of thing. So right. I, I think eventually I kind of, have that to go with my style of writing. 
so the last question that I normally ask to everybody is, what advice would you give to your 17-year-old self? And what question would you ask to your 100-year-old self? <laughs> wow. Um, 17 would have been start writing. and, and uh, Keep a journal <laughs> now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, because, you know, like the yeah, I done it since I was 17, man, who knows? Um, 100 year old would be. Um, what question? Yeah, it would be more of uh, did I do it all or could I have done it differently or better? Could mm. I do my life differently or better? And, now, these. Uh, now, this is a uh, kind of a writing prompt that I use. Um, I teach uh, elementary school as well. So it's a prompt that I use for uh, individuals in general, my guests, my students. Uh, and you ask yourself that question periodically, not too often, but this one maybe major points of your life has happened. And depending on where you are in life, the answer to both of those questions will change. So the advice that you give to your 17-year-old self and the question that you ask to your 100-year-old self, it changes depending on where you are in life in that moment. So it's a great writing prompt that I, I like to use myself to kind of gauge, okay, where you at? <laughs> Mentally, where you at? Because it will determine what you ask and what you tell to uh, yourself, uh, that 100-year-old and 17-year-old person. Uh, but thank you for joining us. You know, I, I come back when you got that next book hot and ready. <laughs> uh, but I do have another question. Are you looking to put this on any other platform, say a play or movie or TV? I'm hoping in the, you know, the person that edited the book, we we hoping that a movie or something could come out of it, play whatever from the uh, surviving mm. chaos. But, you know, that's hope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure every, every writer or author hopes, you know, his material takes off. But right. I have no, every, you know, people who read my book, they all loved it. Um, mm. They, they said they, they laughed and they cried, which, <laughs> to be honest, the emotion I did try to reach. Um, mm. And the shock, there's a lot of shock. Like even I talked about the assault, the racism is shocking. Mm. Um, it's a lot of shock. Um, one of the things that I, I'll say this, but I like one of the things that happened, and I, I tried to find a way to say it that wasn't so um, not safe for uh, <laughs> for watching. Um, well, the story I wrote is called "The Morning Bitch," and in that story, I talked about witnessing of uh, an orgy, which mm -hmm. <laughs> I was twelve. You know, wow. <laughs> so you know, so like it's a like you know, as you say, wow! I was like I was shocked at twelve. <laughs> you wow, know? wow! So, so like I said, it's a lot that I I wrote. I know it's shocking, but I'm like, if someone grabs this and read it, they can be shocked. And then, like I said, the emotion gonna sway up and back and forth. You know, you'll mm. laugh, you cry, you'll laugh, you cry, and you'll be shocked. So let Mr. Pfeiffer take you on this emotional roller coaster uh, <laughs> that is Surviving Chaos, uh, a phenomenal book. I'm, I'm in the middle of reading it now, and I really enjoy it. Um, and I don't enjoy it a lot, but I do enjoy just the style of the book, the, the narrator, the content, uh, and just the personal, the personalized uh, motive in it. 
It's not really to embarrass anybody or put anybody on blast, but you're simply telling your story uh, through your your own eyes. And I appreciate that. Uh, so when you're ready to come back on, just reach out, let me know, uh, and we can continue the conversation. But I thank you for coming on today. I appreciate you too, Mr. Cooper. Anytime, anytime, anytime. So this has been another edition of the Artist Exchange Radio Show. Don't forget, next up is the Cocktail Social coming on at 7 o'clock. Um, and every Friday here at 5 p.m. live will be the Artist Exchange Radio Show. And if you have a show, you have a show idea, you got an idea, but you want a new home for it, whatever the case may be, Big Exposed Radio is here for you to start your own show. Uh, just email me at info at bigexposedradio.com and say, Nate, I want a show in the subject line, and we'll get right back to you. Um, and again, our awesome lineup here of shows. Take a look on our YouTube page, like, share, and subscribe. Um, and this has been the Artist Exchange. See you next week. Peace out. See you, Mr. Harold. All right, you too, Mr. Harold. <laughs>